0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Silk and Steel Podcast. I'm your host, Carl Zah. Today we have a very special episode on the U.S.-China tech war. To help me, I have a very special guest. He is an insider of U.S. tech industry. Um, For reason of uh, confidentiality, I will refer him as Mr. T. So welcome to the show, Mr. T.
1: Thank you so much, Carl. It's a real pleasure to uh, be on this show and, uh, and hopefully I could help uh, you and your audience sort of get a little bit more clarity on, on what's, uh, what's been going on over the last uh, couple of years.
0: Yes, that would be very helpful because um, you know I, I I work in IT, but I haven't been uh, working in IT for more than a year now. So I sometimes I feel like a phony when I talk about <laughs> the latest IT news. So now um, you know, obviously, U.S.-China tech war is big, big news, and t- today is already. September twentieth in Bali, but uh, it's still September nineteenth in US. So, as of September twentieth, Trump is gonna ban WeChat, right? And this is this is a big news. This also will impact many people. So let's talk about um, yeah. Let's let's just let's just talk about that.
1: Yeah. So it's a, I mean, it's a situation that's changing around quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if you just saw the news, Carl, but uh, it looks like Trump is going to let TikTok, uh, the tech, let the TikTok deal go through. Um, at least uh, there's going to be a sort of a 12.5% uh, Oracle stake, 7.5% Walmart stake. I think ByteDance keeps the other 80. Um, and then there's going to be some sort of IPO in a year. Um, I think both parties may have, uh, both Walmart and TikTok, uh, Oracle may have warrants to go pick up some more equity. Uh, but uh, But again, just there, it's not It's it's not a very specific situation right now. I think there's a lot of details that are still being kept under wraps, but uh, it does look like that TikTok will be let off the hook. Um, although, granted, the the Trump administration has only extended the ban on that uh, for seven more days. I think you wanted to talk about WeChat as well. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, well, right, let's talk about TikTok uh, for now, because this is an evolving story, as you say, and... Uh, you know, originally the, Trump said he was going to ban TikTok from U.S. App Store. And now um, it, it, it turns into a forced sale of of TikTok by its parent company, ByteDance, to U.S. company, uh, originally Microsoft. And now, you know, we have Oracle and Walmart jumping into the fray. And then it looks like ByteDance is actually going to maintain a majority stake. So w- what's going on here? Can, can, maybe for my audience, uh, can you just go through like outline of uh this tiktok ordeal from
1: the beginning yeah for sure so so tiktok has been the center of some concern by the u.s administration since 2018 right um as as you might recall like facebook originally had tried to acquire musically which was the parent application of what eventually became tiktok But they were unable to do so because of antitrust considerations, Um, or at least they were advised that it would be difficult to get it past antitrust. So ByteDance ended up acquiring that asset, right? Um, And then uh, you know ByteDance obviously expanded musically, merged it with Douyin, used a lot of different uh, you know pretty advanced uh, code essentially to enhance musically in the app and make it something that has become really a viral sensation, right? And the first sort of uh, you could call it the first successful Chinese technology product within the United States. It's actually sort of a hundred percent created and operated by a Chinese company. Um, and that's you know caused a lot of an increasing amount of concern, uh, both within, I would say, well, within Silicon Valley, specifically Facebook to a certain extent, and then also uh, more and more within uh, Washington, D.C. Um, so there's been some folks within Washington that have, you know, sort of said on Twitter or privately confirmed that ever since 2018, at least, the Trump administration has thought of TikTok as a problem. Um, and then through 2019, that got louder and louder. But a lot of it was still kept, you know, sort of far away from, you know, kind of official channels of communication. Um, then in 2020, you started seeing an increased sort of drumbeat of, you know, calls against TikTok. Now some of this was actually hinted at by Strategory, which is a blog that uh, this gentleman in Taiwan by the name of Ben Thompson runs, right? And Ben has been on a sort of an increasingly shrill crusade against TikTok uh, ever since mid-2019. A large part of it is because Ben is very close to Facebook and Ben naturally, you know, is very pro-Facebook in a lot of his posts. Um, but also a large part of it is because Ben is in communication with some members of the administration as well. Um, so, so he's been sort of an unofficial channel by which, you know, people can get a pulse for what's going on. Um, and after India banned TikTok within June of 2020, in response to the Galwan clash, uh, and the fatalities, the Indian fatalities there, uh, the, uh, the U.S. administration felt like either had a green light, or it felt like a, it needed to sort of one up the Indian side. So they ended up uh, they ended up uh, you know accelerating their demands to really ban the app. Um, and uh, and that's kind of been that's kind of been you know kind of a summary of everything going up to the stage of banning the app. Now, before I move move further, did you have any you know follow up questions to that? Yeah,
0: um, you know, that you mentioned the Facebook angle. I think that's uh, that, that, that side of the story is not well reported in the media. I mean, the, the TikTok, obviously the TikTok dri- has many drivers behind the TikTok ban, but Facebook do play a significant role in this. Can you just uh, uh, go into a little bit details about, you know, how the Facebook opposition to TikTok influenced uh, the, the ban?
1: Yeah, so there's actually a Wall Street Journal article from August 23rd, 2020, which references a dinner that uh, Donald Trump and Mark Zuckerberg had uh, in September of last year. Um, And in the article, it states that in the private dinner at the White House, Actually, I'm sorry. The private dinner was actually in October. Although Zuckerberg and Trump had another meeting in September as well, but apparently, in the private dinner in October, uh, Zuckerberg had mentioned that the rise of Chinese internet companies threatened American businesses, and you know that the that that is essentially a bigger problem uh, to the U.S. the health of the U.S. republic essentially than reigning in Facebook. Um, so, if you recall, all through 2019, a lot of people were. You know, saying Facebook was a problem for, you know, sort of uh, corrupting the democratic process, for enabling the rise of, you know, political extremism, et cetera, et cetera. So part of their strategy to avoid antitrust or other content considerations was to, you know, sort of deflect the blame back onto China. So not only was this happening, you know, at the, in sort of private lobbying, like the Wall Street Journal article attests to, but also in terms of, uh, in terms of public lobbying as well, so Sheryl Sandberg would go out to Congress and say, "Hey, China's a problem. You shouldn't break us up, etc." Um, and this is kind of an interesting situation because, you know, if you recall back in 2016, uh, back in 2015-16, Mark Zuckerberg was going jogging around Shijiahe in Beijing, and he was uh, also <laughs> he was trying to learn Chinese. In fact, he even offered to let Xi Jinping name his first name his firstborn child. I remember that, yes. Yeah, uh, in an effort to break into the Chinese market. And sometime between 2016 and 2019, Zuckerberg did a 180. He felt that he was never going to get into the Chinese market, so he was going to do everything possible to prevent Chinese consumer internet companies from having a foothold in the U.S. market. Um, and uh, and I think this his position on TikTok is just illustrative of that. Sort of larger systemic position.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, for years, it's um, the the competition really um, is U.S. companies operating in China uh, find it harder and harder to compete with uh, domestic Chinese company in the Chinese market. Now, TikTok is the exception that it really gone global. It, it like you say, it's the first kind of Chinese made app that. Uh, that that seriously challenged like the the, the Facebook uh, Facebook dominance of the social media space, right? I mean, I mean, uh, you know, Facebook bought Instagram, and and uh, they really kind of felt the the heat uh, from from the TikTok capture of the youth market, and uh, you know, a lot of the public talks about TikTok, you know, talk about. Uh, concern of Chinese government collecting data, you know, on American teenagers. But a, a lot of that, uh, you know, it, it doesn't pass a smell test because obviously we we know where all the, the, the Facebook is fully embedded with uh, with U.S. agencies. You know, they all the big tech companies in U.S. are, and and uh, you know, we we are. Um, and I I used to say, you know, like for if you're a Chinese citizen, yes, you probably should be concerned that you might be monitored and surveyed on Chinese social media. Um, but if you're an American citizen, you know, Chinese government have no jurisdiction over you, whereas the NSA that is reading your emails do. So, I mean, it, I think a lot of the... Um, a lot of the hysteria that's being whipped up in the media is just that. Uh, but what what do you think um, is the motivation for the U.S. administration? I mean, aside from
1: the push by Facebook? I mean, I think there's a couple of motivations, and you got to unpack each of them individually, right? So there's the sort of commercial competition problem by Facebook. Um, there's also, I would say, you know, sort of, and this is sort of a longer-term trend, but with the rise of increasing amounts of data encryption, um, more and more sort of mass surveillance is done at the application layer, right? It's not necessarily done at the network layer, right? So like way back in, you know, call it the 90s, the 2000s, right? Before people started doing things like HTTPS, TLS 1.3, and other other sort of security techniques on a large scale, um, a lot of traffic... know sort of sent across the internet was sent in the clear right so if you sort of own the routers and if you own the lines you could kind of you could readily sort of collect traffic and do packet inspection and do the things like that to to sort of do do intercepts or do do mass collection whatever whatever you wanted Um, and a lot of those programs were uncovered by snowden and prism prism right Um, Lately, as, you know, as web scale companies and consumer internet companies have felt that, hey, like we should just give our users an additional level of privacy. If you want to do that equivalent sort of mass surveillance, you have to actually do it in conjunction with these large application level consumer internet companies. So that would be companies like Facebook specifically, right? Or like uh, Google via YouTube, Um, or like, you know, ByteDance via TikTok, right? Uh, and and that sort of mass surveillance is actually you know something that the United States SIGINT community actually prides itself on. Um, so you know it's a, it's one of those things where you know there is there are elements of the intelligence apparatus within the United States and you know sort of other closely aligned countries that actually think of TikTok being under Chinese control as a surveillance problem. Um, and as a result, uh, you know, they don't necessarily want to sort of operationally cooperate with a company that's very closely affiliated with China, right? Because that would reveal their operational cadence to a degree to the, uh, to, a, to the Chinese government. Right. Um, so they'll, they'd much rather sort of, you know, be able to, you know, seek another solution up to including banning the app or forcing its sale in order to get a crack at that data without you know, sort of having to work with the Chinese.
0: Oh, so that, that actually makes sense because I was just going to say, uh, you know, TikTok Global is, you know, separate from the Chinese TikTok. Uh, you know, for my audience who are not familiar, there's two entities. There's uh, the Chinese TikTok named Douyin. That's, uh, that's for the Chinese domestic audience. And for for people outside of China, there's TikTok, Right, and they're hosted in different places. So, so in China, doing uh, you know servers uh, hold their data in China, obviously. But my understanding is that TikTok US, uh, all that information is actually hosted inside US, right, in the US servers, and it, it's a it's a separate company,
1: right, like a US headquarters company. Is that's correct, right? Yeah, and and not only that, you know, the US has actually an interesting law called the USA Cloud Act. Are you aware of that? No. Okay, so the Cloud Act, also known as the Clarifying Lawful Overseas Use of Data Act, uh, was enacted in 2018, and it uh, allows U.S. allows federal law enforcement to force U.S.-based tech companies via warrants or subpoenas to provide requested data stored on soils, on, on servers. I'm sorry, regardless of whether the data is stored in the U.S. or on foreign soil. So that basically means that uh, AWS Google, uh, Google Cloud, you know Microsoft Cloud and Oracle Cloud, all have to be able to hand over uh, their customers' data, their cloud customers' data to the U.S. government, no matter whether actually that customer is based in the U.S. or not, or whether they're even using a uh, cloud region that is within the U.S. or not. So it's actually the type of global surveillance uh, that the United States accuses China of attempting to uh, uh, to, to to do. Via companies like Huawei, like ByteDance, uh, or Alibaba, Tencent, etc. So, um, but 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 that is essentially the sort of crowbar by which uh, the the U.S. signals intelligence community, the intelligence community, can can now gain access to the types of user data that TikTok would be storing on a cloud provider that is a part of that is essentially headquartered in the U.S.
0: So, I mean the. Uh... In under U.S. law, uh, U.S. intelligence services already have the means to access the TikTok data. It, you are saying is that um, they're just uncomfortable uh, <laughs> to to do it in such a way that uh, somehow the TikTok company is aware of how U.S. intelligence go about. Uh, you know coercing the companies to giving up the data and then uh, okay so that because that that actually i think that's also related to the huawei ban as well right because you know huawei was big in uh uh, making up the the, uh, constructing the 5g infrastructure and and my understanding is that the u.s and the five companies countries intelligence agencies they kind of freaked out um, when they find out that uh, when they're gonna uh, if, if they invite Huawei to participate in building out the 5g infrastructure it, they're gonna have to kind of uh, lift up the hood so to speak right and and, <laughs> and that that they find that unacceptable uh, maybe can you expand on that a little bit
1: yeah it's it's sort of the same thing right if you want to conduct If you want to conduct a type of even targeted surveillance, not just mass surveillance, you ultimately, under a 5G network, you'd have to do it in a way where the 5G vendor itself would have some sort of awareness of what was going on, right? Because a lot of 5G networking devices are cloud managed. So what that actually means is the vendor helps you optimize the network once you've installed the equipment in. So the vendor essentially helps you opt to operate the network. So it's not like AT&T or like Telstra or like, uh, you know, like NTT, DoCoMo, KT, et cetera. Those companies would just hundred percent manage the network. Um, you know, Huawei software would be involved in helping them manage that network, right. If they installed Huawei equipment. So if they were trying to use that to do what's called lawful intercept, you know, Huawei would have some awareness of that. Um, and under five G, it would have a greater degree of awareness than it had under legacy architectures. So, so that's kind of that's kind of the context there.
0: But I mean, for a long time, the the U.S. China tech cooperation was uh, was going fine, right? I mean, in Huawei they rely on the Qualcomm chips and. And you know they obviously the Huawei phone they 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 rely on the Android platform right and 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 for 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 a while U.S. was okay with that you know why did they change why why the sudden shift in attitudes? You
1: know it's uh it's it's partially I think due to Huawei's increasing technical competence, you know as well as the changing nature of five G networks itself right. So you know the thing is like. Under five G architectures instead of four G architectures, and this is kind of getting kind of wonky. Um, the RAN itself, so that's the radio access network or all the cell towers, right? Plus the baseband stations. Uh, those things have are doing a lot more sort of heavy lifting, you can say, in terms of uh, in terms of actually trying to determine how packets get sent around. Compared to the SP core, right, the service provider core. Um, so even if you tried limiting Huawei to just the RAN, which is what a lot of previous you know companies did, uh, service providers did to keep you know, keep the US happy, like that. Necess- that doesn't necessarily work anymore in a five G world. Um, Huawei is going to have some idea of what's going on. Um, the other thing is that uh, just just uh, generally speaking, the US was concerned that uh, if they wanted to do other things with you know, the 5G network, that because Huawei was the only company that offered an end-to-end architecture, so it could offer you the RAN, access, edge, all the way down to the SP core, they could offer you the fiber as well, they had a submarine fiber division as well, and they would offer you the phones as well, um, that there was a concern that you know, if the US wanted to you know, do anything in an SP that had like an end-to-end Huawei network that Huawei, again, would be aware a lot of this is just due to the fact that the United States just does not want you know China to be operation have any sort of operational peek under the hood into what you know their what their SIGIN agencies are doing around the world. So, so what we're, we're seeing basically is U.S. is pushing for a full
0: tech decoupling from China, right? Like it, where where it's a full spectrum. Banning of uh, four spectrum tech war, right? Banning Ch- from banning Chinese, um, you know, infrastructure prov- provider like Huawei to, you know, to 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 a social media app like TikTok. But then, you know, the TikTok case is very interesting because uh, now it looks like it's not going to be a full-on ban, you know, because you know there's that that for sale aspect of it. Um, why do you think is is that change? Is it because Trump is essentially a businessman and he's, he treats this as a kind of a
1: mafia transaction. <laughs> Why do you think that is? I think it's important to divorce Trump from his administration. I mean, I think you know, it's important for people to understand that at least on matters of technology, Trump is not a hardliner. Um, and, and he's just, he views things very transactionally. You know, things that Trump tends to get involved in right? Things like Huawei, or I'm sorry, not Huawei, things like TikTok, uh, ZTE. Um, I'm sorry, what, uh, what other items has he, uh, has he gotten involved? In? Those are the two that come to mind are things where, you know, there's a lot of bluster and ultimately the Chinese side gets a reprieve. Um, but things where sort of Trump's uh, administration kind of takes the ball and runs with it. So fol- that would be folks like Pottinger or Mike Pillsbury, Navarro, Pompeo, those guys, where they kind of you know get the ball and run with it, and those are tend to be executed in a much more hardline manner, right? So that would be like Huawei is executed in a very hardline manner. Um, so so that's a that's kind of something that that you know, I think a lot of your listeners should be should be cognizant of.
0: Yeah, and there's also um, I think a degree of difference between company like Huawei and bike. By dance right I mean I think because by dance compared to Huawei is lot it's much more of a uh, I, I mean both are private companies but Huawei has more um, my understanding it has more ties with the Chinese state whereas by dance kind of you know it, it doesn't really it, it doesn't have the level of state support that, that Huawei does it, because ByteDance just kind of happened by chance you know it's just something that that happened to succeed it, it, it didn't succeed because of the support of the chinese
1: state it kind of no, happened outside of it yeah yeah but yeah. ByteDance has in fact been of the China, main like the large chinese tech companies ByteDance has been like the most anti government company like they they expressly have rejected and not worked with the chinese government very closely in fact it got so bad back in like 2016 17 18 i think at one point like the chinese government was even threatening to ban ByteDance's apps inside china um and then you know they sort of made made ByteDance you know sort of agree to to uh, some degree of of uh, essentially content mo- enhanced content moderation on total which was their news app um you know back back in that time frame so uh so so yeah, they're very much a very independent of the Chinese government type of company, and they still are to this day. Like culturally, so they're like their founder Zhang Yiming is very pro America. He's known for being like that in in the Chinese tech circles. I mean, he expressly admires Microsoft. He's a huge fanboy of Satya Nadella specifically. So um, so it's a it's a very interesting situation. Uh, unfortunately, now past. I think after this episode, by this extortionate episode by Trump, um, you're going to see that you know ByteDance is going to be very much more closely aligned with the Chinese government, which of course is kind of a dumb outcome for America. But uh, but uh, no one ever sort of accused the Trump administration of having foresight.
0: Um, yeah, so let's now talk about the WeChat ban because um, you know whereas TikTok looks like it's. Um, there, there is some kind of a, got some sort of a reprieve, right? Because uh, uh, you know we, the latest news is that you know Trump is allowing the Oracle deal to go through. So looks like there's not going to be an outright ban on TikTok, but 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 WeChat, I, under, as I understand, is going to be removed from the U.S. App Store, um, uh, like as of. Is there tomorrow uh, or I, I'm not sure if it says September 20th. I don't know if it's the end of the day or the beginning of the day.
1: So specifically, what happens is that WeChat is cut off uh, from from app stores. It's also cut off from CDNs and hosting providers or uh, Internet ISP, ISP uh, ISPs. Right. So uh, you know what that kind of means is. Uh, what that kind of means is a couple of things. One, what does an app store actually do for a mobile app? Well, an app store lets you download it. So that means nobody in the US can download WeChat anymore. But if you already have a WeChat on your phone, that doesn't remove it from your phone. But the other thing that an app store does is it keeps apps updated, right? So obviously, people are going to continually try to, you know, up. they're going to, you update apps for two reasons. You update them for increased performance and security. Um, and People are going to, over time, users are going to notice the performance of the WeChat app, you know, sort of degrade. Um, And uh, users are going to notice their, basically the WeChat app itself is going to become uh, less and less less secure for user data. Um, Which actually matters a little bit because WeChat, um, for some users based in the United States, also functions as a small bank account, right, via WeChat Pay. Um, so that, uh, you know, that could become problematic for them. Now, in terms of the upgrade, you know, immediately creating a pro- upgrade lack, creating a problem for WeChat, you know, iOS is actually, Apple's producing a new iOS system. I believe it's iOS 14, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Apple's going to come out with iOS 14 and, you know, within each sort of <clears throat> iOS update, you know, they'll change how iOS works with the applications on top of it. So the app developers have to put out updates to their apps in order to make them compatible with the new new version of iOS. Obviously, WeChat can't do that for its users in the U.S. anymore. So specifically for Apple users of WeChat in the U.S., their experience is going to immediately begin to degrade. Um, maybe for Android, it might hang on for a little bit longer. Who knows? Um, but that's on the up- lack of upgrades and the, being cut off from the App Store. The other big hit against WeChat is really against being cut off from CDNs. So the reason people need CDNs or apps need CDNs is if they're doing multimedia-heavy uh, workloads, so things like video chats, that sort of thing, they'll need an intermediate CDN to do caching and compression uh, for that application. So that basically shrinks the video stream before it gets sent all the way across the Pacific Ocean or all the way on a on a, on a long-distance fiber line. Uh, and And if you can't do that, uh, you're going to find the sort of multimedia heavy experience meaningfully degrade, right? So video calls, for example, between the U.S. and China via WeChat might become next to impossible after September 20th. But you can still send text messages. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I guess, these, they're, essentially they're relegating WeChat to becoming a distant second class citizen on U.S. phones, um, by degrading the user experience, the upgradability, and most importantly, the, the privacy and security of the application by force.
0: Now, WeChat, unlike TikTok, is uh, you know, in you know, TikTok is actually primarily used by the Chinese people or the Chinese Americans to keep in touch with their families inside China. You know, I, I only ever use WeChat to talk with my family and friends, either in China or with my parents in United States, right? And, and why, so I, I, I you know, I don't even understand what is the point of banning WeChat in U- U.S. because it's such a, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it doesn't have the kind of impact that tiktok does right i mean tiktok talk everybody used tiktok a lot of the 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 zoomers are on tiktok but wechat is very specific demographics it's chinese and chinese americans so so why the wechat ban
1: so i think there's and i'm just i'm just spitballing on this one i don't i don't really have a lot of insight into the motivations around it either but i would guess it's around two things right the first is that they hope that they can get a bunch of Chinese users, um, or users of WeChat in the U.S. to migrate to another messaging app, and then force those force their contacts within China to also download that messaging app. Right. What they want to do is they want to sort of you know forcibly start cracking open you know China's uh, great firewall to new messaging apps. Right. So that's that could be a that could be a point that could be one aim. Right. Um, but, you know, that's a very niche aim, right? Because there are other ways to communicate uh, between the United States and China that don't even involve an app that you can do via, you can do FaceTime, right? Obviously, you don't need, you don't necessarily need WeChat to do video calls. Um, and FaceTime has never been blocked uh, between the US and China. So so that's, uh, that's, uh, that's one, right? Um, the other thing, obviously, is that uh, they could believe that communications via WeChat between Chinese people in the U.S. and people in China are too hard to monitor. Um, or that, again, if they wanted to monitor those communications, they'd have to work with Tencent. Um, so, And they don't want to do that. They'd much prefer everybody just go to an app uh, based in another country where, that, where they can go monitor. Something like Line, for example, right? Which I think is, uh, I believe, is Japanese, right? So, uh, so all they have to do is, uh, all they have to do is, uh, uh I'm sorry, is Lion Japanese? Uh, uh, yes, line is Japanese, Kakao is South Korean, right? So, so, you know, by migrating it into something like that, they can just essentially force, you know, people onto an app that's more easily monitored by the U.S. intelligence community.
0: Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, knowing the kind of the language skills possessed by, you know, the, the kind of the Chinese language prof- proficiency within U.S., I highly doubt they were ever going to be able to monitor, you know, the Chinese language communication effectively inside the United
1: States. I mean, come on. Really Push back on you there, Carl. Like, uh, you know, with with new with the rise of new machine learning techniques. Um, it's actually getting exponentially easier each year to go and do mass monitoring of, you know, video and audio communications. So,
0: um, I think eventually we'll get there, but I, I think we're at least five years away from any
1: kind of meaningful, you know, like. Well, for like, I mean, for if you wanted to go and, like, the NSA has like a sixty-five megawatt data center out in Utah. Right. Like um, they've got massive data centers in Hawaii as well, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a conspiracy theory to say that the NSA has a substantial amount of compute firepower at its disposal, that it can toss at, you know, the problem of, you know, extracting, you know, extracting you know, audio snippets or particular or particular, uh, particular text or video snippets from, you know, all types of modern communications platforms. Right.
0: Well, yeah, that's OK. So for NSA, you know, capturing and storing our data has never been a problem. But I remember um, a, a kind of side effect of the Snowden file leak is that, uh, you know, and NSA, they, they store all the all our emails or electronic communication. But data mining is a problem, right? It's, it's actually to... Uh, get any meaningful data out of all these kind of noise because most of the you know <laughs> most of the chats are just just banters right i mean like it's it, it just just signal noise i mean it's like i i i don't believe we are there yet i think I, we're at least five ten years away from um from them being able to meaningfully mine any kind of Meaningful information out of all these data they gathered, but we we digress because I I want to get back to the tech war, um, and and now now I'm want to like talk about kind of the what possible uh, response by China and what impact on the, the the Chinese companies will be. I mean the you know what. First one is Huawei, right? I mean, like yeah. the U.S. is basically out to kill Huawei because not yep. only Huawei, you know, not only the Huawei's uh, 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 is it CTO or CFO, uh, Meng Wanzhou was yeah CFO, yeah. So Meng, Meng Wanzhou, right, the daughter of uh of Huawei founder, not only was she detained in Canada, put under house arrest, um, and but U.S. is also banning. Qualcomm from, from supplying uh, chips to Huawei and and now now U S is pressuring uh you know Taiwan semiconductors also to stop doing business with Huawei right which is a big problem because Huawei phones uh they even even if Huawei do their chip design in house they still rely on foundries like in Taiwan to actually really physically make those chips and 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 right now the the US ban means uh, you know there's no the US ban is actually far reaching it's not just banning of US companies but also globally all the companies like 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 Taiwan right especially Taiwan because Taiwan is basically essentially a client state of the United States you know to to ban the the, the Taiwan semiconductors from doing business with with huawei so is huawei going to survive that that's my biggest question
1: so i think it's an open question as to whether huawei survives actually you know i think huawei will survive in some form but it's an open question as to how much they're going to get uh, have their presence reduced by the sanctions i think the sanctions are going to meaningfully degrade their capabilities in a number of areas right um at the very least uh their their top of the line chipsets, or whatever is going to succeed the Kirin 9000 which is their top of line mobile soc that is going to not that that's gonna it's gonna be very hard for them to actually ship any of that right so all the effort that the folks at high silicon which is their silicon design arm uh put into actually designing a successor there that's just not going to be around Whereas uh, you know, their competitors like Apple and Samsung will still be able to ship uh, SOCs that are fabbed on 5 nanometer or in Samsung's case, 7 or 8 nanometer processes. Uh, so, so Huawei's you know, competitive advantage there is going to wither away. right? And it's kind of sad because HiSilicon itself last year broke into the world's top 10 of you know, IC or integrated circuit design houses for the very first time. And that uh, and in fact, they were the first Chinese company to ever break into the top 10 by revenue volume by revenue. Right. Um, and that uh, that's an accomplishment because, you know, predominantly those are you know U.S., South Korean companies. Right. Um, and uh, U.S. or South Korean companies. And that's sort of the pinnacle. You can think of it as the pinnacle of the hardware value chain. Right. That's where all the most of the profits and hardware accrue to. And for a Chinese company to climb the value chain to that pinnacle, that was really an accomplishment. But now they've just been cruelly sort of murdered, for lack of a better term, um, by, by these U.S. secondary sanctions, which I think is what you're alluding to. Um, now, they can still work with SMIC. Uh, knock on wood, they can work with SMIC, although the U.S. is still pressuring SMIC. Uh, China's semiconductor foundry, not to work with them. But SMIC is, at the very best, only capable of limited production runs on seven nanometers not the 5 nanometer that uh, note that uh, that TSMC has so um so quave is going to be meaningfully crimped there now granted they can still ship a lot of mid range phones right but their consumer business in the top end is going to be is probably going to probably going to die right it's going to be hard for them to have that business um, as for you know their networking equipment which ironically is the area of the biggest us concern i think they've stockpiled enough chips and components where that's not going to be meaningfully affected for a couple of years at least. Um, so, so it's kind of strange, but you know, the U.S. is essentially attacking the part of Huawei that you know where its intelligence community should be least concerned about. But, uh, but it's a, it's a, it seems to be a strange. It, it just seems to be sort of almost collateral damage as part of their larger effort to degrade Huawei's capabilities as a company.
0: Uh, so what you're saying is Huawei's 5G business won't be affected as much as its uh, consumer facing phone business.
1: Yes. Because the reason is like the reason you need small semiconductor nodes uh, is because uh, you need power efficiency. Power efficiency is just uh, sheer amounts of sort of operate floating point operations per watt. Um, and, and uh network equipment is a little bit less sensitive to power efficiency needs than mobile devices, which obviously run off batteries. So that's the, that's the main thing there.
0: Now, I mean, what we see here is, you know, U.S. basically still leveraging its uh, tech dominance uh, into punishing any potential competitor, right? Because, you know, U.S. right now, U.S. company, Google, Apple, they, they basically have a duopoly in, you know, in the, in the uh, platform, right? That, you know, your Android and and Apple is a duopoly, right? I mean, you know, you you either have the Google store or the app store, Uh, you know, as the TikTok and WeChat um, case show, you know, U.S. can opt to ban your apps, any Chinese app from these uh, app stores. And what... I mean, do you think China to in response, is that going to force China to be more um, self-reliant and, and build its own technology stacks? And, and if, if, if China does that, would that, you know, does China have enough time <laughs> to, to, to do that and,
1: and still save these Chinese companies? So I think. Uh, I'm going to be real blunt here. My my forecast is not all the Chinese companies are going to make it through, make it out of this. But at the same time, I think China will be successful uh, overall in terms of you know essentially gaining full tech independence, you can say, and then also perhaps uh, reaching the leading edge of technology to essentially directly challenge the American tech stack, for lack of a better term. Um, you know. Specific to things like you know Apple and Google, obviously, you know if you look at the State Department's Clean Network Initiative, two of the initiatives are called Clean Store and Clean Apps, right? And one is about saying, look, you know, US, uh, US, uh, US mobile app stores should not have Chinese apps. That's Clean Store, and then Clean Apps is the other way around, is saying uh, US application developers should not put their apps on Chinese app stores. So that's specific to Huawei's app store, right? So it's 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 interesting that essentially the uh, Android iOS duopoly, uh, the Apple Google duopoly is now being enshrined in US foreign policy as a, as like a clear foreign policy doctrine of the US government. Right. Um, So, so it's, it's very clear that the United States is now evolving its policy in that direction. But I do think that China can eventually, you know, sort of replace that and replicate that. I mean, look at the top, the first and the third, most downloaded apps uh, in the U.S. right now are Zoom and TikTok. Right, Zoom was developed by a Chinese American, right, and TikTok was developed by a Chinese company. And I think that's just a tip. That's just a sort of leading edge of the spear. You're just going to see more and more of these of Chinese, more and more Chinese presence in the consumer internet space as the next couple of years go on. Um, and uh, and I think no amount of bans from the U.S. government is actually going to alter that fact. In fact. By uh, by forcing Chinese companies to become more self reliant, they in fact may accelerate that fact and make China a more formidable competitor down the road.
0: Okay, I'm gonna fact check you for a second. So Zoom is American company, right? I mean, the, the Zoom yep. founder is is Chinese American, but he has American citizenship. Well, <laughs> and
1: most of their engineers are based in China. If you recall,
0: ah. Okay, so so do you think uh, Zoom is going to be under pressure from U.S. government soon?
1: Well, as long as Trump sticks around and Zoom keeps all of its operations on Oracle Cloud, it looks like Oracle Cloud is the uh, is the magic umbrella or Krisha in Russian mafia terms for uh, for protecting yourself against <laughs> for protecting yourself against this administration.
0: Okay, so this is a good uh, segue into talking about the durability of U.S. policy toward China, right? I mean, we're we seeing a, a sharp deterioration of U.S.-China relationship under the Trump administration. Um, granted, force for confrontation was set long before that. I mean, I think uh, it started with Hillary's uh, pivot to Asia back in 2011, 2012. But, you know, it's, it's under Trump that this relationship really taking a nosedive, um, and some of it is because of domestic politics, right? I mean, like obviously, uh, you know, Trump is playing blaming China card to distract all the all the problems that the U.S. is currently facing. Uh, now we're approaching the election in couple months. Uh, you know, November election is just around the corner. What do you see going forward? Um, you know, how much of this uh, current trajectory of tech war is going to be maintained past November? Following is a bonus segment for my patrons on Patreon. To listen to it, go to Silk and Steel Podcast on Patreon.com, where for $5 a month, you will receive premium content like this, as well as early release episodes before they have been released to the public. I put a lot of effort into making this podcast, and I do ask you for your support. Thank you for listening, and I hope you subscribe. Bye-bye.